HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in the rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you started. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, I've got one of my good buddies, Karen Stanley, part owner of Dutch Kills, bartender at Little Branch, and representative for Bowls, Chinever. And it's great to have you in the studio, finally. Welcome hey, to the show. Um, so, over the last couple of years, I guess, we've we've gotten to know each other a little bit better and uh, been working around each other. I actually just went on a motorcycle trip with uh, with Richie Picado, the uh, owner of, uh, also part owner of Dutch Kills and, and Little Branch and uh, others, other places <laughs> around town. Um, so uh, we were actually talking uh, a little bit more. I, I feel kind of guilty because I've just recently gotten out to Dutch Kills and I've never been to Little Branch. I was on my way there <laughs> on Monday night. Um, I was kind of cruising around the city, just popping around saying what's up to people and went by one of my bars, uh, Frankie's uh, in the West Village. So I was already in the hood and I was like on my way to Tiki Monday to see one of my bartenders, Jim Kearns, do his Tiki Monday night with uh, Brian Miller. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to stop by Little Branch. And then I realized you guys open at seven. And I was like, oh, I need to get to Lonnie Kai at six. It just didn't happen. <laughs> so I feel bad about that. Um, so what are what is the whole like idea behind Little Branch? Um, Little Branch and all of the Petrosky bars sort of have that speakeasy vibe. Uh, it's not on purpose. It's not like we're trying to be hidden or exclusive. It's it's more based on a, a very democratic process of everyone's welcome. Not everyone's welcome back. <laughs> uh, but, you know, classic cocktails, uh, fresh ingredients, the fresher the better. Uh, we do a, a lot, I mean, from milk and honey juicing to order per drink and then never keeping anything overnight sort of thing. It's, uh, you know, freshness, camaraderie. Sure. That's one thing I noticed, like, when 
the last few times that I was at Milk and Honey, it's like they have the juice press there, and basically you never have more than like say like six ounces of like lemon or lime juice. You know, there's the little like kind of pitchers that you know it's just it's fresh as can be. Yeah, ideally you juice for a round. I mean, there's been lots of sort of scientific attempts to quantify the difference when acid sits out, and you know I. I think I'd, I'd like to think I can tell. Sasha swears he can tell the difference between citrus that's been a minute out of its shell, um, and you know, I hopefully that the quality is. It's also about the attention to detail. I think sure. too is the the idea that if you're going to be meticulous about something, you should be meticulous about everything, which is a, a great part of their philosophy. It's really cool. Yeah, I I commend you for doing that. I mean, like when we first opened Prime Meats. Um, we were we had the the hand juicers the little clamps oh wow <laughs> and so the every drink was you know juice to order mm-hmm. and so you were like you're like cutting a lemon or a lime or an orange or whatever it might be in half putting it in a juicer and juicing it into a jigger and then putting that into the shaker it was like it was hardcore and then after a while we were just like we can't do this anymore <laughs> it is really hardcore it is it's i mean there's only two people working a shift at a time there it's a ballet of cooperation. It really is like if you're you're working on something else and you're the bartender, your floor person or host will will make you some juice and you just it's you know every round is touched by everyone who's working. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, you know, like the the whole like camaraderie, the whole idea of uh, going to a bar and like the social aspects of it and like being around that makes a lot of sense. You know that like your your team like. It, it should like translate from like the bar team or the the restaurant uh, like the staff you know it should translate to that kind of responsible camaraderie you know for the entire you would hope so yeah you yeah. would hope so that your your patrons sort of respect what you're doing enough to uh to be you know cooperative or maintain a convivial atmosphere <laughs> <laughs> this is something we were talking about before the show it's like the differences between, like when when you go into a bar or when you go to a restaurant and acting responsibly and and mature, you know, it's it's a very strange phenomenon that. It- yeah, there's a disconnect there. I think a little bit for not for everyone, obviously, but there's certainly people who will go into a bar, and it doesn't really matter what bar or where they are, um, because it's a bar. The rules go out the window on, uh, you know, just a general level of respect or or. Humanity? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say that someone threatened to punch you in the face the other night? (laughs) He didn't necessarily say my face, but he definitely said he was going to hit me if he didn't get to sit down at a table right away. Why is it that that people think that i mean like no one really knows but why why do you think people it's, have there's that? like an like an animalistic thing that happens to people when they've been out and they're drinking and you know sometimes part of that is the fun that you know that let loose spirit can be part of the fun and it's part of the point of going out and drinking and having cocktails and i promise you you and i have done it <laughs> Yeah, sure. I, we're, no one's perfect. Probably yesterday. But, uh, yeah, there's something... Were you following me? <laughs> I saw you. Um, it's more, uh, you know, towards the staff, I guess, is more the thing. is like they're there to help you and acting, like, you know, threatening or dif- difficult. I don't know. People can be difficult and you can handle it. But, uh, like, more rude. More, yeah, threatening and yeah. rude and, you know... There's so few 
altercations that ever really get off the ground just because, you know, we're so trained to diffuse that sort of thing. But it hurts your soul. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> to watch people just like, are you a person? Really? What do you do? It, it really worries me. What do they do during the day? What is their job? Sure. Oh, God. Don't be responsible for anything to do with my life, please. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there there have been, I, I know for all of us who work in the industry, there have been, we all have our, our horror stories and, you know, different things have happened. But obviously, for different types of bars and different types of restaurants, um, there's certain behavior that's a little bit more acceptable in certain ones. Like at a cocktail bar or like a nice restaurant, it's like you're not, it should be kind of be known that you're you're there for the experience and to share that experience with your friends you're not like you're not going like walking into death and company or a little branch or uh you know pdt to go pick up chicks you're going there to have the experience so you should be into that and not- you would hope so yeah if you're going to be paying a premium for the environment for the attention to detail for the curation of the menu and all the myriad of things that go into producing a place like that then maybe the experience should be this, probably the second day. I think the the friendship and hanging out with your friends and catching up and that sort of thing can be the most important. But it's more the uh, you know don't dis- your behavior shouldn't necessarily discount what you're paying for. Like why are you here to pay thirteen dollars for a vodka soda when you can have a really awesome drink that you're definitely going to like without calling me an asshole? <laughs> well, I mean, on the flip side of that, just to be democratic, you know, I, I think. Uh, people customers will get nervous and intimidated by these places and you know they might be invited out by one of their friends that's really into like cocktails totally and i you know i really am proud of the way our bars function in bridging that gap it's a huge deal for us you know we do a lot of what we call bartender's choice which is just let us know what you like or what you don't like flavors spirits anything or just ask to be surprised or tell me what you normally drink, and I'll do my very best to get you something that you love. If you don't, we'll take it back and we'll bring you something new until you love it. Like it's, we stand behind everything we do with uh, with no impatience and and no looking down. It's really important uh, that we under we understand what we're doing is not something that everybody speaks the language for yet. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's I I'm not going to name names or anything, but um, <laughs> and I'm sure he doesn't even listen to the show, but. Uh, someone that I graduated from high school with, who I haven't spoken to in eight years or so, came into town a few weeks ago and came into my bar. And he was in town. We were playing a show at Irving Plaza a couple of weekends ago. And he wanted to come into town for that. But he comes to my bar with my brother. And he just had no no clue of what's going on. Like yeah. He ordered the fish special. And then he wanted... He asked if we had any like dipping sauce. Like he's, he's from like the middle of nowhere, you know. And like, he, but that's okay. It's okay, but yeah. like, it just takes like <laughs> it takes like a certain type of finesse, and you know, you have to like really like embrace them, and and like you said, like making something to where they're gonna like it. Or yeah. taking something they didn't even know that they liked and like exposing that to but them. But even before that, it's making somebody comfortable to receive sure. that. Because when people are feel out of place, they feel defensive. And that's a that's really hard... That's why people go for the vodka soda. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely a fine line. <laughs> sure. I mean, I think it's like anytime someone... You know, if someone wants just like a vodka martini, I'm like, oh yeah, let me let me just show you something. I'm gonna do something real quick to this. Oh yeah, there's some green chartreuse in there, or you know, turn them on to something. Like, 
there there's always been an issue with like when you're writing a cocktail menu you know there's the whole like there's the vodka drink that like a lot of times you have to have the vodka drink and like jim meehan at pdt put one on recently with like carlson's gold and even though it's a very flavorful vodka it was like i remember it being kind of a like a, a topic that a lot of bartenders and and industry people were talking about because after like all the backlash against like cocktail bartenders and like the no vodka thing you know it did something interesting with vodka and you can do something interesting with, with, with vodka but i mean like you're basically using uh, a, a blank palette you know i mean but you can do something interesting with anything that's the thing is you know it's your prerogative i feel strongly about this so-called backlash towards the cocktail bartenders you've got people like rachel surrey who works at jack rose in dc doing cocktails with coors light and sparks in them and chartreuse <laughs> and and like but making yeah. like a high-end fun experience that suits her bar with any ingredient and it's her choice to use those things and it's you know our choice not to use other things it's a very uh you know people get it's another thing about bars where that's sort of uh an overarching opinion that you have to serve everything like someone comes into a bar and they order a jack and coke and i don't have jack daniels yeah and it's like an insult to them sure but that's their comfort zone sure but it's and you're attacking like it's almost like you're attacking their comfort i mean you're not it's just like you choose no i totally understand where it comes from but i don't i don't like the support that that gets in the industry where it's like yeah you're a snob you don't have jack daniels and it's like that's not my it's not my prerogative you know what i mean like we have a menu you don't like you we're sitting in roberta's they serve amazing food no yeah. one comes in here and asks for fried rice and then gets super pissed off. They just don't. Sure. I mean, that's, that's go, that goes back to like the, like what we're talking about before with the mentality of like going into a place and already having an attitude about it, you know, and getting, getting pissed when you don't get exactly what you want. The thing is like, you should be able to have something for everyone, not everything for everyone, you know? And it's like, you don't go into a McDonald's and order a steak and vice versa. You don't go to Peter Luger and order a Big Mac. Exactly. It just doesn't work like that. And that's something that I think that people don't understand about the bar industry or the cocktail industry specifically just yet is that people get to try out their crazy things and have their weird whims and make their weird designer bitters or, or they get to serve shots of bourbon and Coors Light and have like girls dancing on the bar. Like that's, that's your that's your You're business. making me rethink the bar that I work at. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'd let you work where I'm talking about. <laughs> but just the idea that, uh, you know, the bar is somehow more subservient than the restaurant. Like, we're here to provide a product, and that product is pretty typically a vision of somebody who owns that bar. And if you don't like it, don't go there. Not to say, like, I know that sounds arrogant. It's like, well, the the counter argument is, well, we're paying you. But, like... You know, why isn't it the same as the, the food? F&B has a big divide sometimes. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, go back to the whole, like, backlash against, like, vodka and bartending and stuff like that. Like, I was at uh, Mission Chinese last night with my brother, and which is fantastic. Um, they don't have really a liquor license or anything, so they do a lot of, like, soju and, uh, and oh, I guess... How do they? I don't know. They don't have like a full bar, basically, is what I'm saying. But we went there for, uh, I guess it was a few months back. We went there for a friends and family night for like basically all the management staff for like Frankie's and Prime Meats and had this amazing like 
29 course. <laughs> we didn't make it and like karaoke and everything. It was awesome. But they were like, all right, so we've got, you know, we're doing shoe highs and stuff like that with, uh, with soju and tea. And then we're also doing blended cosmopolitans. And I was like, what? What? Blended, blended cosmos, huh? And then after like the fifth course, like really fiery Chinese food, we're yeah. like, give this me another fucking idea. Cosmo. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like the right thing for the right time. And like it was perfect. Yeah, that's someone's, that was someone's decision and they made a good one. They made a great decision. And you know what? It's like, it's not necessarily up to your peers to decide what's, what's valid for you to serve or not. It's really about the customer. Open your crazy bar. And if there's people who will go to it, that's awesome. It's, you know. Absolutely. It's uh. I don't know how to put it, but just as much of a just as much of a creative process as, as food is, I think. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, um, we'll continue talking with Karen Stanley about drinks and customers <laughs> and everything in between. For the past 10 years, Heritage Foods USA has had the great honor of announcing the arrival of a new generation of Good Shepherd Ranch Heritage turkeys and a new chapter in the history of an endangered species. You have to eat them to save them. While many farmers now use the term, Frank Reese and his team raised the truest example of the original Heritage Turkey. According to the USDA, they remain the only farm allowed to use the name Heritage on their label. We hope you reserve your healthy, naturally mating, flying, standard bronze, bourbon red, white holland, slate, black, or narragansett turkey today. Let's do it again and support the brightest hope for the turkey. We guarantee these are the best tasting turkeys ever or your money back. Prices start at $75. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. And we are back. In the studio today, we have the lovely Karen Stanley. Nice one, Jack. <laughs> We've been talking shop about making drinks and serving customers and uh, and the challenges and rewards of that. Um, speaking of, let's talk about Dutch Kills because it's in my in my mind it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, it's it's in Long Island City in Queens, and 
there's like nothing around it. It's not far from the the G train though, right? It's like the court square station is like three blocks away or something. Well, it's not far from a lot of trains, Damon. (laughs) Yeah, I only think in like the G and the F. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is. People really do think it's in the middle of nowhere, and it is and it isn't. It is. It was for me before I knew where it was. When I first went out to that space, I was like, where? am I? And then two or three more times, I was like, oh, I'm close to this and this and this. So we're right by the 7, the G, the E, the M. There's a bunch more. We're right between Queens Plaza and Court Square. So like two of the major hubs in Queens before you go shooting off into the sort of Netherlands. But um, yeah, it, it was a bit of a calculated decision to be out there. That's my partner Richie's stomping ground. It's where he grew up. It's his neighborhood. And he feels so passionately about neighborhood as a concept, about a as a lifestyle. And, you know, he I think he's always wanted to do something out there. Um, Sasha told me maybe a year ago or so that they looked at spaces, too, on Vernon Boulevard, which is close by, which is a lot more of a populated strip of restaurants, cafes, and bars. And he saw it becoming the new Bedford Avenue and just didn't want to endorse that. So... Uh, really made a, a choice to be out there. Um, it's one stop away from Manhattan. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the concept was there's people who work in Midtown who have to go all the way downtown to Little Branch or Milk and Honey to get a quality cocktail when they can go one stop on the 7 and get one in Long Island instead. Uh, and so far, <laughs> I think people get surprised when they realize how close it is, but it, that's definitely not the popular consensus yet that it's so close. But I don't find it too far. I live in Greenpoint, so I can walk there in 15 minutes. Sure. I like I I used to live in Greenpoint and you know, I now live in Carroll Gardens. So to me it's like it's a long train ride, and I guess that's why I didn't make it there for so long. <laughs> but then when I finally went there, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute. I fucking love this place." It's I need a to neighborhood go back. bar. It really is. I mean, it's a product of its location as well. The customers have really Um, sort of shaped where we've gone. Our vision was always sort of 1890s saloon. It was even more so. uh, It was the first place we ever did where we didn't have rules. Um, We let all the rules out the window. We weren't going to ask people to take their hats off or not hit on chicks (laughs) or anything like that out in Queens. And, uh, you know, we started out with sawdust on the floor and peanut shells until we realized we were uninsurable from fire hazard. <laughs> um, but it's really meant to be like a, a product of the neighborhood and something that you might have found out there in the 30s. Like, really. And yeah. hopefully we'll be there for so many years that we become that establishment for people in the future, too. That's another thing I think we feel really passionately about is being a real um, stalwart for that neighborhood as it develops. Sure. Um, one of the things I, I really liked about it is like, I like going into bars where the bar is in the back of the room. So you like kind of walk through like a dining room area, you know, like a booth tabled area. And then you go to the back and there's like kind of like a, like how Mary Queen of Scots was kind of like Clover Club. You yeah. Know, like where you, I don't I can't speak for whether that was a judgment call or not or just a product of the like room. room. Yeah. But uh, I like it, too. I like the I like that you sort of feel like you're traveling once you even open that first door and you sort of see the dark wood and the low light. Um, you're going through like a tunnel sort of back in time. And by the time you get back to the barn, you realize maybe someone's playing like ragtime on the piano. And it's just a, it's a nice little time warp. I don't know. I wonder if he did that on purpose. Possibly. I mean, it's probably, it's probably due to the, the shape of the room and like plumbing. You know, there's always all those factors. Yeah. But, but I, I, for one, like I said, <laughs> I, I just, I'd love that. There's something really, 
uh, like cozy about it. In There's a, way. a romance to that bar for sure. Yeah. Um, so with the like the drink style there, what was the like inspiration, or what is the inspiration for that? Uh, mm-hmm. At first, it was um, very close to the milk and honey philosophy of doing things consistently and well all of the time, using the same ingredients, same recipes, really no messing around, like, you know, water content, dilution, ice. It was the first bar to do in-house block ice production, um, which we now distribute to lots of other bars as well. Heavyweight, right? 100 weight. 100 weight. Yeah, heavyweight's kind of even better, though. (laughs) (laughs) All those dudes are so muscled out now that they're chopping ice every day. Um yeah, it was. Uh, it started off like that, and then we realized we had a really creative staff. And I think at first we were a little bit adverse to like, you know, as as with any new bartender, there's that period you go through where you make new drinks. Like you think, you know, your your creativity is just can't you cannot harness it enough, and you're just churning out new cocktails, creative cocktails, things that you think the world has never seen before. And then a year passes, and you suddenly realize like man, this daiquiri is really good. (laughs) But we definitely tried to embrace that. And um, right now we have our first, it's our sixth edition menu. We've been open for just over three years. And uh, it's the first one where our entire menu is uh, house creations. Oh, cool. Yeah, typically we wouldn't put anything uh, made, uh, not like a non-classic on the menu. And now we started to embrace it and now we're we're full on embracing the fact that we have a really cool creative staff. So... Contemporary and classic now, a little mix of. That's interesting. You know, to me, it's like most modern, modern classic cocktail bars um, are all about like the proprietary recipes. Yeah, and, we were very much in the beginning about the execution of the past, like really making sure we were doing everything accurately and really well. That was our our, our philosophy at first. So now we're trying to do that and our own stuff really well <laughs> yeah totally um are they classically inspired or are they just definitely. like straight up? oh no 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 definitely classically inspired i mean probably no more than four ingredients sure. ever makes it into a glass maybe five if it and even then it's a little bit like you're like uh pick it up too many bottles <laughs> well, we, we just have i mean i i certainly feel really strongly about the fact that what are you if you're making a new drink and if brand new cocktail that you think that you're going to serve to everyone who comes into this bar, is it better than the 200 other scotch cocktails out there? Sure. Like, are you, you're making a scotch drink. Have you, do you, have you tasted all of these other drinks? Do you know where your, what your inspiration is, what your history is, what you're building on top of? I mean, you're on the shoulders of some big stuff and, you know, just because you can put it all in a glass doesn't mean you have to. Absolutely. Um, I love the idea of modern classics. Um, one of my favorite drinks uh, is by Nate Dumas. It's called Montgomery Smith. He came up with it. It's in the PDT cocktail book. Uh, when he was working there, he, he put that one together. And it's basically, it's cognac and Benedictine and Frenette. With an, it's awesome. It's a B&B with Frenette. But that's great. That's what it's I'm awesome. saying. Is like it's the three simplic- ingredients. Yeah, the simplicity. A three-ingredient cocktail is heaven to me, I think. Absolutely. It really makes you know sense. Even just going back to the idea of like a sling, like... Whiskey, water, and bitters, or it's just, or whiskey, water, and sugar. Just, it's just that. It's awesome. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like you said, like basically, like there's this like whole kitchen sink approach to uh, to a lot of cocktails these days. And I think a lot of that was born, sorry, out of the West Coast. Um, <laughs> you know, like 
like the whole garden in the glass like mentality, you know. And and that's cool. Like those are those Oh yeah. Are great. I mean there's people pulling that off all over the place. Even like I was at Death and Company recently and they have some super complicated stuff on that menu and things that you don't think would go together and little nuances of this and that and then when you taste it in its entirety, it's amazing. Sure. It's and that's a, that's a skill all to itself. And I mean at that's kind of like the, the tiki approach, too. That's a lot of the times like that. You know, yeah, like, I mean, I went through a huge tiki phase, too. And luckily, Rich opened Painkiller and let me exercise a little <laughs> bit of that bone because it was like I wanted to, to learn to set things on fire and use crazy sweeteners. And Who doesn't want to set things on fire? Come on. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess not. Maybe everyone. <laughs> um, sorry, just had to take a quick sip of that cider. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm like nervous to drink, but I'm going to. <laughs> This is what we do on this show. Well, I don't know. Can you hear it? It's creepy. Well, now we're going to listen for it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like the, those uh, those like modern class. There's one called I can't remember I, for the life of me right now who um, invented this drink, but it's called the Jasmine. Do you know that one? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not going to say I know who invented it. I think I do, but I don't want to be a jerk and right. say. I will say, king of the modern classic is Sam Ross. He. He just got it right off the bat, I think, and sure. really like the penicillin, um, the and all the made the made drinks. If you know those, I mean, it's a gimlet with mint and cucumber. It's but it's awesome and it's so popular. Uh, Grapefruit Collins with Peychaud bitters, like just some really like stalwart, amazing. The Dobbs cocktail, a bourbon Manhattan with a rinse of Fernet, like so simple, yeah. but really like kind of genius. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, like, and that's, to me, especially, you know, like, with all the, like, crazy molecular stuff you could do, or just, like, the whole, like, kitchen sink, like, West Coast, like, garden and glass stuff, like, I feel like, especially, you know, we talk a lot about this on the show, it's like, at the end of the day, for us, for the people who are experimenting with this, and even a lot of times for our customers who are, like, interested in this, at the end of the day, or the end of the night, rather, um, <laughs> You know, we end up with like a beer and a and a whiskey. You know, and it's like if you can take that kind of like simplicity and that kind of mentality and put it into a cocktail, like you said, you know, like a three ingredient cocktail is just heavenly. It is pretty you know? magical when you can hit something so right on balance that it's like it's, you were talking about like uh, the molecular like Booker and Dax. They have a drink right now called the Bulls Deep. <laughs> Not to to bring it around to Bulls just yet, but it they. Uh, it's bitters, it's Angostura bitters, sugar, and bowls. But the balance in it is so unique and so perfect. Like, it has, I think, like a half ounce of mango in it, some kind of sugar measurement, and then, like, Geneva. It's amazing. It's just so cool that, that they think of that as molecular because it is the complicatedness of what they're doing with that much of an imbalance in what should be balance is almost scientific, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. Especially when you're throwing like a half ounce of bitters. Right, which you should never do. I mean, we would never do. It's something, it's... I would. But. No, I'm saying, <laughs> as, as our, uh, like in our company, like we wouldn't yeah. accept a drink like that uh, simply because it doesn't fit to the, the the classic, Sure. you know, formula. We have a very sort of strict formula of this ratio of sweet to sour to spirit to whatever. Yeah. So... I know we're at the end of the show now. Um, so when can we find you and where can we find you? I'm at Little Branch Friday and Saturdays uh, permanently, but I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You'll see me once in a while. Cool. 
Well, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been really awesome talking to you, and I can't wait to have you back one of these days. Yeah, thanks for having me. And come to uh, Little Branch. You, you are coming to Little Branch. I'm, I'm off on Saturdays. I'm, okay, so, Saturday. Uh, I'm there tomorrow, whatever. All right, all right, done. <laughs> you got to do it. Cool. Karen, thank you so much. Cheers. And cheers. We'll see you next week on The Speakeasy. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Don't